and we all need a Snickers to turn this season around. All right, we're back. Welcome, everyone, to the Mainline Podcast. Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, Corbin Pulse, and the entire gang is here tonight. Oklahoma coming off a 16-13 win this past Saturday over the West Virginia Mountaineers. Sooners improved to 4-0 on the year, and they'll look to keep that undefeated record alive this weekend when they make their first road trip up to Manhattan to take on the Kansas State Wildcats. We've got a great episode tonight. We're going to recap the OU West Virginia game, and then we'll actually be joined a little later on in the podcast by recurring guest and K-State fan Derek Ziggenhurt. But before we get to that, let's welcome in the other members of this team. Adam Corbin, how's it going, guys? Man, happy birthday, Spencer Radler. Uh, 100% behind the team, supportive, as I've been told to uh, to only encourage them. So I'm sure we're going to have a great week of practice and a great game this Saturday. Hey, hashtag family, guys, together. Um, fingers crossed. All the emojis that we've seen on Instagram over the past yeah. week. Uh, guys, I, I've never seen anything like what we saw Saturday. It was bizarre. It was weird. Um, hopefully we never have to see anything like it again, but I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. Corbin, it takes what it takes it takes what it takes that's simply that's a winning is hard tyler winning is hard four and out one game at a time <laughs> i don't know how like i said we've been talking a little bit in the group message uh over the past couple of days but now that i've you know we're here in person talking a little bit about it i'm curious to to get your guys's pulse on this uh the state of the football program if you ask the fan base the sky is falling and then if you listen to lincoln riley today they're close just a little bit better, and we'll be ready to go. So, just Adam, throwing it over to you, man. What's just kind of the your your pulse on this, and your kind of your initial takeaways coming off last weekend's game against West Virginia? Man, it, it was not fun to watch. Um, it wasn't the prettiest football. Uh, it it the, just the fan reaction from that game is amazing because people are like, "Well, what's the difference between winning, you know, fifty eight to fifty five? It's like, yeah, there's it's kind of the same, but it's also not good still. Uh, both were bad. We were both complaining after both results, um, either because of the defense or the offense. Uh, so there's just there's just a lot. And there's there's so many different reactions going on right now from the people that are saying, yeah, like the offense absolutely deserves that Caleb Williams needs to play versus don't question anything Lincoln Riley does because you're not the coach and you don't know. And it's, it's just bizarre. It's what a mess that we're in. Uh, can we pull ourselves out of it? I think we can. I, I thought there were some good signs uh, coming off of social media and some of the things players said that I thought were encouraging, but we still need to see it on the field. It has to happen well, Ad- at some point. Adam, how, Adam, how dare you offer criticism when you're not a, a former player that's played at this level or a coach of, of football? So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess you have to have a PhD or something in order to criticize uh, what we've seen on the playing field. Well, that's, that's one of the funniest things, though, because like people say that all the time, but if we rewind to 2019 K-State, coming out of that game, all the fans were saying, where were the running backs? How come no one got a handoff? And Lincoln acknowledged that later and said, yeah, I did that wrong. Um, yeah. The fans saw it first. So sometimes having a perspective that's you know not front and center you know in the locker room can sometimes be different. I'm not saying the fans are always right, but there are instances where I think they are. I'm just glad, you know, I'm not sitting in the stands, so I'm glad I don't qualify for Spencer Rattler's <laughs> response. Um, I am sitting at home, so I think I'm much more valid to give my opinion on things. Uh, I think Spencer would agree. Uh, guys, the the response on social media is is ironically similar to, like, what this team is right now, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It's just kind of all over the place. Like, there's not one thing that really looks great 
and there's quite a few things that don't look that great and there's not like a consistent theme or anything behind it i keep finding myself coming back to being grounded and just kind of understanding that this team yes has a ways to go but i do think i saw a tweet this morning from bill Connolly from espn highlighting what this team has done before texas or through texas excuse me and then what this team has done after texas and we've talked about this before why does it take so long for us to get going why does it have to be till texas but uh between 2017 and 2020 the sooners are 18 and 4 um through texas in those years after texas they're 27 and 4 three of those losses coming in the playoffs they're basically 27 and 1 after texas in the regular season I understand that we didn't want this team to look this way and that we all had had concerns, but seeing stuff like that, then it's kind of like, well, maybe this is kind of the norm. And that's, that's an annoying situation in itself. We'll, we'll get to Beanbow here in just a second, but I mean, like th- this was just another game with like a really lackluster, you know, offensive performance for Oklahoma. I mean, this is the second straight week where Oklahoma got, you know, just one or one and a half possessions w- with the football. So the, the opponent hasn't been able to establish the pace of play because the defense couldn't get off the field on third downs in the opening drive. Now the defense as a whole, I think played pretty well for, uh, you know, the majority of the game and they came up big whenever it mattered in the second half. And, you know, we'll get in the defensive play here in just a second, but it was mixed emotions for me. Defense couldn't stop a nosebleed in the first drive. We looked great offensively in the first drive, you know, t- tying it up going seven to seven. And then really guys from the second quarter on until OU's final possession, it was a defensive slugfest between these two teams. Rather and company, you know, they played damn good football in that final possession when it mattered. You got to give Spencer credit. He pulled through and, you know, was able to lead this team down the field. And, you know, we got to see Gabe Burkich's, you know, walk-off field goal. I can't believe that in the history of Oklahoma football, that's the first walk-off game-winning field goal that's ever been kicked in the history of this football program. So uh, it, it's kind of shocking, but... You know, like the three of the last four games, I I told you guys this walking out of the Nebraska game, I was walking to my car shaking my head because I'm tired of being pissed off after wins. It it just doesn't feel good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. The entire offseason, we've hyped this team up. We talked about them since, you know, the Florida game last year that this is the team. This is everything that's been pointing in this direction to this year is the most talented team, the best chance at winning number eight. All the preseason hype, the NIL just adds to that. NIL is, is is hype on top of that because that's raising canes. Um, I think someone said, you know, Spencer Rattler's got a Snickers deal that's going on Facebook. I haven't seen it, but there's just so many companies that are basically acknowledging, hey, this is the premier guy in college football. This is the top quarterback. You know, we're willing to put hundreds of thousands of dollars behind, you know, this guy. And so, yeah, if you're going to see those types of things, you're going to have to expect a lot better um, from this offense to – you know, achieve those goals and hit those goals. And frankly, I'm, I'm glad that we're seeing the criticism. You know, I, I'm the type of guy that says, hey, every year that doesn't end in a national championship is a failure for this football program. I have a little bit higher standards than I think most OU fans do. So I'm glad that we're seeing a lot more criticism because in a lot of other years, people will be like, yeah, we're just trying to win the conference. So I like it. Well, if I think that's what... If the Snickers thing is true, I will say that is a phenomenal marketing campaign because none of us are satisfied <laughs> at the moment. Maybe we yeah. all need a Snickers to turn this season around. So bravo, Spencer Rattler, if that's a uh, you know, little play on the fan base there. that I'd actually be impressed by that. When the when the game finished, I think the first thing that, that you immediately said, Corbin, is you know what, what do we put the finger on? I mean, where do we point the finger in terms of what's wrong with this team, specifically the offense? And, you know, guys, we put out a survey on, on Twitter earlier in the week when asking about, you know, who's the main source of why the offense hasn't been able to get things going. And 70% of the votes 
a vast majority of them put the blame on the offensive line. So, Corbin, throwing it back to you, who who has to take ownership for this? Is it a combination of all things, or you know, where where is the uh, the bulk of the blame? Where does that got to be placed? I think if you were to ask the majority of people who voted on that, they'd probably all tell you that that's probably like where the most deserve needs to be um, placed. Um, but I think it's more than just that. I think every single person that voted and everybody that we listens to this podcast would probably say it's not just the offensive line. The problem we have right now is that we've got a quarterback that isn't good enough to overcome the deficiencies of what the offensive line is. And we don't have an offensive line good enough to overcome the deficiencies of what we have at the quarterback position. And when you combine those things, it doesn't look good. I think my biggest frustration probably for the offensive line is that at least with Nebraska, we rushed for almost 200 yards. I get some of that came late, but at least there was like some sort of hang your hat on. Like we had at least we I mean, guys, we had 57 yards against West Virginia and tip of the cap to West Virginia. I do think that's a good defense, but for the talent and the status of what Oklahoma's offensive line should be, I mean, anything below 125 yards a game should be a disappointment. And we were a third of that. So it's just confusing. I, I have not seen our offensive line get whoops like that in quite some time, to be honest, where guys were literally just falling down and getting just straight beat um, by the West Virginia defenders. I do think the West Virginia defensive line has great talent, but that was really hard to watch. And I think that's the best just gave up on the run. I think that's the best defensive line we'll see in the conference this year. One, if not maybe the top two. I, I think we might get tested against Kansas State this week. Um, they're pretty solid as well. But, you know, to the point of where do you where do you shift the blame, who takes the credit um, for it uh, is kind of the other flip side of that coin because think about, you know, when the offense is going really well, quarterbacks gets all the praise, more praise than they probably deserve because the offensive line's usually, you know, handling a big part of that. On the flip side, when they start performing poorly – the quarterback's going to take the the majority of that criticism too, because it's much easier to point to that one guy that's the quarterback and say it's going wrong or it's not going right um, versus an entire offensive line. It's all, and it's a lot harder for the average fan to diagnose that. What's interesting is that through the first three games of the year, I you know the expectations are going to rise with each game. They need to get better from game to game to game. They were all right for the first three games. In fact, in Nebraska, we came away from that thinking, yeah, that was pretty solid performance. Um, but to get to game four and have your absolute worst game of the season so far as an offensive line, that's concerning. Also, at the same time, Radler could have made a couple of different decisions. His pocket presence is not great. Um, his ability to find the receiver that's open and hit him is sometimes lacking. Um, even though he was great on the last two drives, there's still a lot that can be improved uh, all across the board here. Corbin, you mentioned our lack of the ability to run the football, only getting 57 rushing yards. Prior to that last drive, we had only racked up 41 yards in basically almost four full quarters. So if you're a fan out there and you're immediately pointing the finger at Spencer Rattler, you know, basically saying, you know, you're what's wrong with this offense, and I think that's a really lazy take. Going back, watching the film, and, you know, looking at each play two to three different times, I think that the biggest problem is the lack of the ability to run the football. Saturday night, the offensive line had consistent busts, poor communication issues, and I think there was a large percentage of snaps on Saturday where all five offensive linemen were either not on the same page and it looked like they didn't know what they were doing or who they were supposed to block. If you don't believe me, I'm not an offensive line guy, but if you don't, go listen to what Gabe Eichert had to say on the Oklahoma breakdown a couple days ago. That was fantastic. That was the most brutally honest breakdown of an offensive line group performance that I've ever seen, and you know, it's 
Gabe was an All-American here, so he definitely knows what he's talking about. But, guys, our offense right now, I mean, they're just not good enough to, to overcome constantly being in second and long, third and long, because the offensive line can't hold up in pass protection. So when you can't run the ball and you can't pass protect, you're in second and ten, third and eight, time and time again. Then the opposing team's defense can play a bunch of different coverages, give you a lot of different looks pre-snap, and that's going to make it tough on any quarterback in terms of their ability to ID and read the coverage as the play progresses. So when your offensive line isn't giving Rattler the time, then the wide receivers have to win their matchups that are, you know, um, they've got to cut down on the amount of time in which they have to win those matchups down the field. Right now, guys like, you know, Mims, Hazelwood, Mike Woods, who was kind of a shining moment, one of the few in the game on Saturday. Uh, they're good, but they've got to continue to get better. Now, when your offensive line isn't holding up in pass protection, you can't run the football consistently. Consistently, Wide receivers can't get separation out of the field. The best way to fix that is with a dual-threat quarterback like Caleb Williams, an athletic quarterback that can even the numbers in the box, get a favorable count, and, and help the offensive line. I think right now you're seeing a ton of our run plays getting chased down from the backside linebacker in large part because they're not scared of the quarterback running the football. In previous years, whether it was with Jalen, Kyler, and even you know even we saw it with Baker as well, he's a little bit more athletic than, than Spencer is. I can't believe I'm saying that, but those linebackers couldn't fold uh, because of the, the quarterback run game threat. So with all that being said, guys, this is Rattler's team, and he deserves the right to lead them until he proves he can't do it or he loses the confidence and support of the locker room. And if there's anything that we did see on Sunday morning, Adam, you touched on it, it was when he made that Instagram post, that entire roster commented on that. So it appears as though the team is behind him. They're going to ride with him going into K-State. And honestly, that's what you want to see if you're a fan. I, I, of all the X's and O's and all the things that we, we've seen on film that are issues with this offense, I think the thing that is most concerning to me at this point is the lack of the mentality that I thought they would have heading into Saturday night. You have an opportunity in prime time on ABC with Herb Street and Fowler. All the eyes, you know, of America are on you. And throughout the past couple of weeks, you've been criticized, 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 criticized. What an opportunity to say, you know what? Those past, you know, three weeks are behind us. This is who we actually are. And they just didn't. I will be very close to giving up on my thought process of what this team's potential could be if they cannot pick themselves up for a team that has beaten them the last two years in a row. If they don't go into Manhattan and play very, very well with the chip on their shoulder, with some anger, then I do think the mentality of the team, the culture of the program has to start to being called in question because guys, that's just, I, I can't imagine not getting hyped up for a game when I've lost back-to-back -back games to a certain team. Like you would think that would energize those guys and have them ready to go. Um, one of my big questions for you all, I think, while we wrap up the offense here, guys, when it seems like when we have tempo, this offense has been a whole lot more successful. And we only see tempo on basically two drives, to start the game and to start the second half. I understand Lincoln Riley's thought process of he's clearly comfortable winning defensive football games now, which is great. But I think the reality of where college football is, is you're not going to win very many games scoring 23 and 16 points. You're just not. So I'm curious to, to hear if you guys agree with the tempo comment. I've heard that in a few different places. Should we be seeing more of that at the risk of the defense potentially giving up more plays and points? Yeah, well, at the heart of it, you know, the tempo strategy is really to protect whether it's your running backs or your defense or whoever it might be. It is part of that mentality that you talked about. And so that stems from Lincoln Riley. 
I mean, uh, and, and then looking at too is play calling. I think our, it was our friend Ryan Lewis that tweeted this out the other day that OU passed the ball 57% of the time on Saturday, which doesn't seem like a huge imbalance, but it is the record for the most passes um, attempts uh, for Lincoln Riley offense. So really out of balance there. Kennedy Brooks only got five carries. So you're really not committing to the run. And when you are committing to the run, that adds to that mentality uh, aspect of, hey, we're going to beat you in and we may not get five yards carried right off the bat. But by the time we get to the fourth quarter, we'll be getting seven yards carry because we're going to be physically dominating you. And that mentality is just not there. And um, I I hope that's, you know, something that Lincoln Riley corrects going into Manhattan because K-State's going to try to punch us in the mouth uh, over and over and over again. Um, And they're not going to quit on that. So we got to get that fixed. Um, And and like you guys mentioned, you know, having the team rally behind Spencer going on the road, there's some adversity there. Uh, Maybe this is the moment that the team rises up to the challenge. Um, I would love to see it. And Corbin, I guess the easiest way for me to answer that question is might as well try it. Nothing else is working, so give it a shot. I mean, I think that we saw, other than the first drive coming out of the half, coming to, to start each half, you know, the first possession, uh, the first quarter where we got the seven points, and then the first possession coming out of halftime where we, we were able to kick a field goal. Outside of the two drives where everything was scripted, our offense looked terrible. There was no rhythm. There was no physicality on the offensive line. Didn't seem like Spencer was able to kind of get into the flow of the game. So, um, I think that the proof's in the pudding with what we saw over the course of the, um, you know, the final drive where Spencer, you know, had to lead the team down the field in such a short amount of time, six for six, 54 yards. He looked in command of this offense, knew where he was going with the football, made really good throws. If you, if you can't run, I guess your offense, like you, like you usually do in terms of, you know, huddling or, you know, let's use 25 to 30 seconds of the play clock. Let's pick up the tempo. Let's help out the offensive line, not allow the defense to get set, not allow them to get their calls in, get everything lined up and figure out what they need to do in order to attack the offense. So I think that now that defense and what does Grinch always preach? Depth. We want to be able to rotate 22, 25 guys in there at a time. Used to back in the day when Mike Stoops was in town, bless his heart, Lincoln would slow down the tempo just because he didn't want the, uh, the defense to have to be out there. He wanted to give him extra rest. Now that you're seeing more and more depth, two guys playing at each position for Alex Grinch. Speed it up, man. Do something. I mean, like you said, Adam, we averaged, you know, less than three yards a carry on on offense on Saturday. So if you're only going to score 16 points against West Virginia, you're only going to score 23 against Nebraska. I don't care how good our defense is. Our defense isn't going to keep saving our ass now that we're in conference play. So um, I'm up for it. You got to try something and let's pick up the tempo on Saturday. I think one thing too, though, that we may not be looking at is that, hey, with that tempo, the offensive line isn't getting enough time to you know scan the defense to figure out their blocking schemes, and they're missing that right now, even with the full forty seconds. So, yeah, maybe maybe that's a negative. Maybe worse. Maybe, well, yeah, but maybe it is a negative that they say, hey, we're too scared to run tempo because we don't think our guys can figure out who they're supposed to block in the right way. I disagree with that mentality. I'd say go ahead and go for it and see what happens because it's not working the way it is. But I, I, I think they lack confidence in what their offensive line can get set up for. I think Eichert said that amazingly, and that was stunning to hear, that he does not think the players know who they're supposed to be blocking. And he puts that blame on the players, not on Biedenboe. I have a hard time accepting that not some of the blame should be put on Biedenboe because if you're as great of a coach as you are, let's, let's set aside physical abilities of this offensive line mentally they should know exactly what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Bebo is this top one or two offensive line coach in the country, like we continually hear and continually pay for to, to be noted. 
um, those guys should know who they're blocking every single time. So where do you all stand on that? I, I don't know. I mean, in terms of the tempo thing, you know, if, if you're worried about wanting to make sure that we slow things down so that the, the offensive linemen do have the ability to, you know, kind of catch their breath, figure out what they need to do for each specific play, then the issue goes, <laughs> the issue is a lot more serious than a schematic type thing. Then you got to worry about who's out there, uh, you know, which players are out there. Are, are they able to actually play the offensive line position at a high level, play it at a level that we've seen over the past four to five years at a place like Oklahoma? Uh, but I mean, Adam, one last thing on the tempo. I mean, we have not been able to get any type of rhythm whatsoever outside of the second quarter against Tulane and outside of the game against Western Carolina, but we, we scratched that. So, uh, you've got to figure out a way to do it. And honestly, I think tempo, if, if they can't figure out with a full 40 second play clock, who they're going to be blocking, who they need to move up, uh, you know, two, three yards to actually block, then do something that's going to help Spencer Rattler out. Yeah. I will say as far as tempo goes, it is really benefiting this defense because they're having fewer possessions to face, fewer plays um, throughout the game, and it's resulting in some really great stats. But I, I still think, you know, hey, if we give an extra possession or two to the defense, they may give up, you know, four more points a game or something like that. But they're, they're still playing really well outside of, you know, the same thing that West Virginia had those successful as us. It was those first couple of drives where they were scripted plays and they went down the field and scored pretty easily in most of those situations. But the rest of the game, we shut them down. And same thing with Nebraska and pretty much everybody else that we've played so far this year. I brought up the fact that OU's best offensive possessions this year have been the scripted ones, whether it's the start of game or it's coming out of the half. Do you guys, because I was talking to my dad about this midway through the third quarter, it almost seems like Lincoln's biggest enemy is himself because it almost feels like he tries to call the perfect play every single time. So what do you guys think in terms of once Lincoln gets off script, once you have those first 10, 15 plays that have passed and you have to get into the rhythm and the flow of the game, is that something that we, that you think Lincoln, you know, maybe kind of struggles at or something that he could do a little bit better job? I think this year he's genuinely confused about how to make this offense work when he can't run the ball. I mean, that has been a, That's a fair mark. point. It's been a staple mark of this offense since he's gotten here is they have always been significantly better when they can run the ball. And that goes for any yeah. offense in the history of football. Uh-huh. So when you can't and you're running for 40 something yards before the final possession of the game, like, and, and Spencer's not throwing the ball overly well, like, what do you do? And I think, you know, that's got to be a really tough um, moment for him during the game of once they are off script and you're looking down, you're like, <clears throat> Passing, not really working. Running, not really working. Like, yeah. what do you, I, I don't know. And that, to call, me. Call the, a run play for once. <laughs> Keep, stick with it. You know, it's going to it's gonna get better as the game goes on. Like, you have to stick with it. I, I guess. But, I mean, even then, you know, like, we can't get a yard against West Virginia on a fourth and one. Mm-hmm. And that's with a veteran running back. I know Rain got pushed off the line pretty hard on that play. Oh. But the yard was there to be made. Did you and, guys see that video I sent you? Which one of Rame? Yeah, yeah, it was rough. But the the yard on that fourth and one was there to be made by Kennedy, and Kennedy tried to scoop behind Rame, which, for a guy who's been involved in this program and in college football in general, was mind blowing. That you don't yeah. just you hit the hole hard. It's fourth and one. You don't have time. But long story short, I'm just not sure Lincoln knows what to do with this team at the moment. Adam, I want to transition over to defense, but before we do, we got to talk about the thing that was the biggest storyline across, you know, all the headlines in terms of national media, and it was the the booing and the chanting. Um, midway through the second quarter, Spencer Rattler throws an interception. 
And then the boo birds and the chants from the student section coming down, start coming down. We want Caleb. So Adam, we, you and I, we were both there. We kind of saw it for ourselves what happened. And I guess just simply to throw it to you, is it okay to boo? Is it okay to chant? Just kind of what were your thoughts on it? So to be clear, I did not chant or boo. I think it was absolutely justified though. Um, Spencer Rattler makes probably more than all three of us combined. And um, you know, there are NBA stars um, that are his age that get booed all the time in their home arenas. So um, these guys are professional athletes. Um, we can't, we can't have it one way, you know, saying, Oh, these guys don't go to class, yada, yada. And then say, Oh, you can't boo them because they're kids. Like, let's get over it at this point. If you're going to carry yourself in the way that Spencer Rattler carries himself and the way he presents himself with all the deals he signs, um, you know, he needs to own it and act and act up to that level. Um, should the fans boo? I don't know. I don't really care, but it was absolutely deserved. And like, part of the problem is he comes out after the game and goes, Oh, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And it's like, dude, you're living in a bubble. That's why we're booing you because we expect much greater things from you. And I think, for the majority of fans, I don't think they necessarily really want to see Caleb Williams. I think they just want Spencer to play better. And like, for me, that's exactly what I think, because I know if Caleb Williams comes into the game, might initially get better, but overall we're not hitting our eighth national championship with him on the field. He hasn't really done himself any favors with the post-game comments. If anything, it seems like he's kind of alienating himself against the fan base. And Adam, to me, it's okay to boo because that can be directed at a bad play call, a turnover, poor blocking, whatever. That's acceptable. The chanting from the student section, to me, was an embarrassment. For our student section and a small part of the rest of the stadium to start chanting, we want Caleb when A, Spencer Rattler's quarterback to 12 straight wins. B, it's a 7-7 tie game. Yes, we weren't playing all that well, but it was a tie game early on. And C, your offensive line can't block for shit. And then last thing, you've got over a dozen recruits and their families sitting one section over from the student section. Those are guys that you want them to come to your school. You want them to be part of your program. And in all honesty, if I'm sitting there as a recruit and, I, and, and I'm thinking that I want to come to a school where when you face a little bit of adversity, uh, maybe you're not playing your best ball at that time, you know your fans are going to start chanting for another guy to play instead of you. I thought it was an embarrassment to chant that. Did students and fans, guys, this is my last thing on this, did students and fans really think that by doing so it was going to make Lincoln Riley actually pull Spencer Rattler out of the game? No. I don't know if you guys follow or listen to Josh Pay to 247, but I thought he summed it up perfectly on his show, The Late Kick. The second Caleb Williams gives Oklahoma the best chance to win a football game will be the second that you see Lincoln Riley put Caleb Williams into a game. If and when Caleb Williams is ready to do that or when the offensive line and the rest of the guys around him improve and Spencer shows that he can do that, then you put 13 out there. I'm kind of in the middle of you guys, I think. Um, Pick a side. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that. Adam, I agree with you in the sense that it is justified. But just because something is justified doesn't mean it needs to be done. And I do think on the national landscape, I think that is a negative in a lot of ways. I do think inside the locker room, it could be a positive for this team. But Tyler, you're spot on in in how this fan base, how the relationship is with Spencer Rattler right now. Um, the Netflix documentary did him zero favors. I think you go way back to before he even arrived on campus, there was skepticism about the way, whether true or not, the way that show portrayed him on, on that doc. And every single OU fan, if you had Netflix, you watched it because you were excited about this kid. I think that's where this all began. And since then, it's just always felt like a massive divide 
between Spencer Rattler and the fan base. He has the the attitude and the, I think, the confidence that Baker Mayfield had with none of the success. And that's the biggest issue right now because I do think if Baylor, if Baker acted the way that Baker acts, but he did what Spencer Rattler is doing, the response I think actually would have been somewhat similar. The big difference between those two is Baker had much, much, much better answers when things weren't going well than what Spencer does. I'm sorry, Spencer. And, and Adam, I think you're spot on this as well. The fact that NIL is now in play does warrant the booze, does warrant the chance. You are getting paid to be on this massive scale that the fans help create and you're not performing well. So I'm somewhere in the middle, but, but it is justified. But to me, there are zero positives that can come out from booing or from calling for a backup player. So my last little tidbit on this, I think there are some, some positives here because I see this as a wake-up call. I don't know that anyone that chanted that or booed on Saturday necessarily thought, oh, we're going to get Caleb Williams and we're going to win and Lincoln's going to you know see. I think it's more of just, hey, like, wake up, take some blame for yourself, um, even if it's not necessarily your fault. We, as we talked about, offensive line's the major problem right now. But own it. Like, you're the quarterback. You're the front of this team. You're the front of this offense. Fall on the sword and own it. That snuffs out so much of that. And you just say, you don't even have to say, hey, I suck. You can just come out and say, hey, we're not performing up to our expectations. We have some big goals in front of us. And so we want to hit those and we're going to go out and we're going to get better and not we're close, we're close, we're close. And every week you're basically the same. And Adam, one last thing before we move over to defense here, you talked a little bit about Bill Beanbow and the frustration level in terms of this group. The frustration for me comes from not living up to the expectations through four games a season. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Lincoln's going to simplify, make adjustments. I think he's going to get it fixed. But where I get annoyed from a fan perspective is because we were told all offseason by not just the national media, not just the local guys, but by coaches and players inside the program that this was the best, most complete team that they've had in over a decade and that the players and coaches inside that building fully embrace the expectations of winning a national championship. Like you said, Adam, the expectation is to win one every single year at Oklahoma, but it felt a little more realistic this season with what we had coming back. And hell, guys, Bill Beanbow got up there after the second practice of fall camp excited about his offensive line saying that this was the he was the most excited about this line going all the way back to 2018 and that was the group that won the joe moore award that was the best offensive line in college football so when the offensive line plays the way they have where on certain snaps the ball is snapped and they're either trying to figure out who they're supposed to block then yeah we do have a right to be upset because they aren't playing up to the standard that is expected when you play football at the university of oklahoma yeah 100 percent agree um, I think we want to transition now and go into our interview with Derek Ziegenhurt. Uh, we had him on a little bit earlier earlier this year to talk about conference realignment and some of his thoughts from an outsider's perspective. So uh, we will go to that interview now. Well, Derek, welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. It's good to have you on. Yeah, good to be back, Adam. Awesome. Well, I uh, wanted to get you on because obviously you have a, a pretty different perspective than pretty much every uh, OU listener, OU fan out there because you're paying attention to the Wildcats. Um, I'm sure you've seen some of the games over the past week as pretty much nobody else has with all the disrespect of all the games being on ESPN+. Plus. But um, I think what's top of mind for pretty much every OU fan is who's going to play quarterback this Saturday. And we saw Chris Kleiman come out today and say, uh, unlikely uh, for Skylar Thompson. There's a lot of people that don't believe him, but uh, what have you heard? What's your expectation on on who's going to play uh, quarterback this Saturday? Yeah, I, I really think it will be Will Howard. Uh, I mean, I think K-State fans have a little PTSD from all the years with Snyder because he never released 
any information on injuries and we always played the the mind games with other teams, you know, leading up, especially with injuries. But I, I think it will be Will Howard. I think from when Skyler got hurt a couple weeks ago, we were always kind of looking. And once we found out it wasn't a season injury, they always had in mind that this bye week after OU was probably going to be the week that he was going to officially make it back. And um, we ended up playing Iowa State after that bye week. So I'd be very surprised um, if he was back. Now, they did say that he did do some pregame warm-ups at Oklahoma State last week, very limited. Um, but I think even Climate said, uh, whether it was his postgame press conference or the one today, you know, it's not his arm that's hurt, it's his leg. So I think, you know, knowing how much his success relies on running the ball as a quarterback in our offense as well, um, you know, that may push it back a week. So I, I, I think it'll be Will Howard. Even though he did get hurt at Oklahoma State, he went out in the first half against Oklahoma State this weekend. We were down to our third-string quarterback. Um, it sounds like he should be back for this weekend. So I think it will be Will Howard. Okay. Yeah. The, I did see that Jaron Lewis played quite a bit in that game. Um, I don't know if you would call it a success. He was 10 of 19 for 148 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, I mean, do K-State fans want to see more of Jaron Lewis or is Will Howard just kind of the guy that you have to roll with at this point? You know, that's an interesting question. You know, Jaron Lewis is a redshirt sophomore. He was originally a North Dakota State recruit that came over with Kleiman, and he hasn't played. He's been really third on the depth chart the last three years. Um, so even he played a little bit against um, Nevada, and that was the first time we had ever seen him, and he didn't really throw the ball. I think he made a couple passes. Um, you know, part of me, they say he has a really strong arm, and – kind of a gunslinger mentality. I think that's what has held him back is he's very turnover prone. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, we kind of know what we're getting in Will Howard, which isn't great. Um, and we're still kind of expected to see improvements from Will Howard. I don't know if I'm ready to quickly co- commit to Jaron yet. You know, I mean, there was a reason he was third on the depth chart um, to the start of the season and for the last couple of years. So I don't know if I'm ready to be like, let's see this guy out there and, you know, see what he can do against one of the, you know, conference's best teams. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm quite ready for that. Now, I do think he provides a different skill set than Will. He's definitely more, I would say, a natural passer, but I don't know if he has the run game that Will has. Sounds like, even though just through a couple of games so far this year, the expectation is Will Howard is kind of the same guy. He hasn't really improved tremendously. He's just, like you said, he is what he is. Um, like, would you agree with that? Or do you think that, you know, he has more to get to that ceiling that he can get to? You know, if you listen to the entire coaching staff at K-State for the entire offseason and preseason, it was climbing really, really a whole coaching staff. And apparently it was off the record and on the record with multiple people within the organization and the media saying he has just improved so much. I mean, he was a young freshman. He was a 17-year-old, 18-year-old freshman last year um so he physically he's gained 20 pounds he's really matured so i think people see that and there's a little more coming off of his ball i think i think just handling the pressure and you know his confidence is really his biggest struggle right now i think he does have some talent um i think he just you know he's still getting used to a power five level speed you know even after a year of playing um so i don't know 
that's that's interesting. Now, other than Skylar Thompson, who OU fans have tons of nightmares about, probably the only fan base that has tons of nightmares about Skylar Thompson uh, would be Deuce Vaughn. We know what he can do. He's electric. Um, you know, he's the leading rusher. He's uh, second on the team in reception. So he's doing a lot of, of the heavy lifting there. But um, so everyone knows him. Who else on this offense uh, should OU fans be aware of that could give, you know, a problem for for the defense? Yeah, there are a couple of guys, and unfortunately, they didn't show out against Oklahoma State. You know, one thing that was frustrating to me watching the game last week for K-State is the play calling and the schemes. We didn't match up to what we've done the first three weeks, um, beating Stanford, SIU, and Nevada. Um, you know, we are pretty deep at running back. Um, Joe Irving is our backup running back. You know, against Nevada, he had, I think, 10 carries for 82 yards with a couple of receptions. Um, really, I'd say he's actually faster than Deuce. Um, reads blocks well, um, kind of that burst energy guy, um, you know, behind him that can really do a lot. Because with that being said, if he's back there, you know, they've talked about and we've seen it a couple times, Deuce Vaughn splitting out to a slot receiver or, you know, having a two-back set, which I think can be healthy. Um, you know, one weak point of K-State has been it's receiving. Um, we do have some athletes out there, actually. Malik Knowles has been around for a couple of years. He's dealt with some injuries, but he's finally fully healthy. Um, has been up and down his whole career. That's a big frustration with K-State fans, but the athleticism is there. I mean, he, he had a punt return or a kickoff return against Oklahoma State this past week. So the potential is there for him to break something open. I think it was in 2019. He had a big game against and we were at Mississippi State. Um, you know, obviously injuries have plagued his career. So I would, I would say him. Um, someone else I would say, but I think he'll be out this week too, is our – tight end uh, who transferred in this year, um, Daniel and Matter Bebe. Um, he's a big old athletic tight end, uh, really has the NFL body um, from that side, really athletic. Um, he had a great game against Nevada uh, with a touchdown, uh, but unfortunately he got hurt last week too. So um, you're really going to be looking at really hopefully those wide receivers to step up. You know, that's really what K-State needs. Um, you know, taking out the most important position on the field, which is quarterback, you know, the wide receiver, wide receivers have to do it. And the coaches have to be a lot better at finding ways to get them the ball as well. Yeah. I know Joe Irvin, the backup running back that you mentioned, uh, he actually averages more yards per carry than Deuce Vaughn currently um, by about 0.2 yards. So he's, he's just slightly above a um, lot fewer carries, probably playing some mop up duty, but certainly one that I, I'm sure the Sooners won't want to go to sleep on uh, when Deuce Vaughn takes a breather. So um, certainly some guys there. We'll see if uh, if Deuce can kind of carry this team. It sounds like there's not a whole ton of confidence in uh, in Will Howard and what he'll be able to do, just knowing that maybe he hasn't grown a whole lot from last year. But um, you never know, especially with, with this year's uh, OU team. So um, yeah. I want to kind of transition a little bit over to the defensive side of the ball, which is where I think you know, the measuring stick is at least from, you know, OU fans perspective, obviously with just the weird year that it's been with Spencer Radler and everything. So, um, you know, what have you seen from the K-State defense this year? I, just from a ranking perspective, you know, they're last in the Big 12 and pass defense, but second against the rush. So, you know, what are you expecting from them and where do you think they can take advantage of maybe uh, some of the slow start that we've seen from uh, Spencer Radler and crew so far this year? Yeah, the defense has been interesting this year. Um, I would say from last year, it's been a huge improvement. Um, and probably the biggest factor in that is we started playing a 3-3-5 this year. Um, you know, climbing has traditionally always been a 4-3, you 
guy. Um, and this year he was very, he was very open about it preseason. Um, you know, after the first game that he talked to some colleagues in the industry, you know, some other coaches and really learned and dove deep um, in the three, three, five. And that's honestly mostly what we've been running um, this season. And I think that's had a lot to do with it. Um, we've had some big transfers come in um, that have really helped. Um, the secondary, especially in the defensive line, um, we're still pretty weak at linebacker. Unfortunately, Daniel Green had a targeting call. He's our probably our best defender on the field um, at linebacker. He will be out for the first half. He got a targeting call in the Oklahoma State game. Um, so that's going to be unfortunate. He's really a big key to that defense. Um, the rush defense, like I said, has been great, you know, which, you know, for me thinking that for a three down lineman defense, you know, you wouldn't think that, but, you know, I think the pressure that they bring in with everybody else, the nickels, the linebackers, um, you know, it's kind of been refreshing. I feel like K-State for a long time was a bend but don't break defense. And it's a little bit more aggressive this year. Um, you know, unfortunately, when you look at the game last week against Oklahoma State, you know, the first half was atrocious, but they did shut out the Cowboys in the second half, which is not uncommon for Oklahoma State um, this year, it seems like. Uh, you know, so, you know, it is probably one of the bigger strengths. I think from the, the past defense side, you know, luckily K-State for the first three games has been in situations where they've been up and probably a little bit, you know, due to being up and the team's throwing the ball to catch up as well, why those numbers are a little skewed. Uh, but it's something, you know, last week I know it, you know, whoever thought that Spencer Sanders would look um, as good as he did in the first half against K-State. I know I was like, oh, we got a great defense this week and, you know, Oklahoma State struggling and it surprised me. So there's obviously some things we need to work on, which is a big, you know, worry with the explosive office that, you know, we can rally teams usually have. Yeah. Hearing that uh, K-State's transition to the 3-3-5 does not make me feel good after what happened last (laughs) week against West Virginia and their three-man rush that seemed to just live in our backfield. The only time a three-man rush has really been successful in all of college football, in my opinion. So um, that that makes me a little nervous, but I I guess maybe on one hand, we got a little bit of practice. So, you know, we can come out and uh, maybe improve on that just from an OU perspective. Um, I do want to touch a little bit on this because um, I'll be at the game on Saturday. I know several of us are going to be up there. Um, One of my favorite road trips going up to Manhattan, a great game day atmosphere. Um, What, I mean, what, this is the first full crowd road game that Spencer Rattler is going to play in his college career, you know, outside of some mop up duty uh, here and there, but uh, it's, it's going to be an atmosphere. I imagine I'm sure K-State fans are going to bring it. I mean, what, you know, what type of, uh, level of excitement is there around campus around Manhattan for for when Oklahoma comes to town maybe compared to someone else yeah I mean I think there's definitely that level of excitement um, when OU comes to town that's different than other teams I mean obviously you're talking about an original big eight school um, you know talking about a team that you know Oklahoma's a national brand and a team that's competing for playoff spots every year so people want to come out and you know go to those games and be extra rowdy for it. I think it adds a little bit, obviously, with everything in the offseason going on with OU and Texas leaving. So I'm really interested to see how that is because, you know, K-State is known, I would say, for a friendly, family-friendly environment. And I would, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, with everything going on with OU and Texas heading to the SEC, you know, what that will be like um, on Saturday. But, yeah, I, I expect nothing less from uh, the bill on Saturday for a, a rowdy Rowdy crowd to be there. They're actually inducting um, Darren Sproul's going to induct to the 
College Football Hall of Fame. They're inter, um, having a ceremony for him. So I know there are a lot of people excited about that as well. A lot of buzz for Saturday, obviously. And with, you know, the last two years uh, with the Cats taking down the Sooners, you know, I think that just adds, you know, another chapter to uh, to Saturday for, uh, for an exciting game. Yeah, uh, you guys beat us two years in a row. You don't have to bring Darren Sproles around. Um, that's really not necessary. <laughs> Um, you mentioned a, a little bit about conference realignment. So we need to touch on this before we get your score prediction and, and, and jump out of here. Yeah. But, um, some things have changed since we spoke earlier in the year about, you know, where things stood with the big 12, there's four new teams. Um, and then even today there's some, I, I don't know if I would call it news, more rumors or so, as far as Boise state potentially turning down the AAC invitation, holding out for a potential big 12 invite. Um, so I'm curious, just, you know, at this standpoint, what are your initial thoughts on adding the four uh, teams that Big 12 has and where that could be headed and how that looks for a team like K-State? Yeah, no, I, you know, obviously the unsettling feeling of conference realignment, um, especially being at K-State, um, was nerve wracking. Um, I think the four teams we did land, I feel pretty good about. I would say it's three really good teams and Houston. Um you know, not that Houston can't develop into something better, but, uh, you know, I feel, I feel pretty great about it. You know, I, if you really look at the conference as a whole, um, you know, I think top to bottom, excluding Kansas, of course, there's, you know, it's a really solid, you know, there's a lot of parity in that. And I think there are a couple of teams that do have some potential to kind of take that next step. And I think from a K-State perspective, I, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, as we're building, you know, we're in the third year of climbing, I'm hoping that we're building up to where we can take that next step as a program as well and kind of be the team to, you know, run the conference and be competing, you know, again for championships like we did in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, you know, I think Casey has every potential to do that. So, but, you know, if you look, at, if you compare the four new teams with the, you know, the eight that are staying, you know, you compare that against Pac-12, I mean, I think that, that new that new Big Twelve is better, and honestly, if you look even at the ACC from a purely football perspective, you know I think it's better than that too. I mean, Clemson, Clemson is struggling this year. So, what does the ACC look like if Clemson becomes a eight and four, nine and three team every year? You know, um, so I, I think the Big Twelve is you know in a great spot. I think BYU is on the up and up um, from what they've been the last 10, 20 years, maybe. Um, Cincinnati is obviously the hot seat, um, the hot team coming in. Um, so yeah, I think I think the Big Twelve is in a good spot. I mean, the interesting thing, you know, and I, I, that's actually the first I've heard the rumor about um, Boise State. I wouldn't be thrilled to add Boise State. I'm kind of hoping the current Big Twelve, you know, obviously new TV deals need to be done, but I'm hoping after that, you know happens and i know we're kind of waiting there's been some rumors of some pac-12 teams you know if the deal doesn't go well out there in pac-12 that they might want to come over and you know that's my ultimate hope is that we can you know maybe get back colorado and if we have byu maybe we can add utah um the arizona schools have always been talked about um you know so that's my hope is you know we hold i don't know about boise state i think that's kind of just a, a fling that's been going on the last 15 years more than anything um, so, uh, but yeah, for the eight and the new four, I feel pretty good about it. Honestly, I didn't know what I'd feel at first, you know, and that was kind of always the targeted teams to, to join that everybody talked about with UCF and Cincinnati and BYU and Houston. Uh, but the more I, after it settled in, I, I felt a lot better about it than I originally thought. 
Yeah, I agree. I, th I think there's definitely some competitive advantages for the new Big 12 going forward against Pac-12 and the ACC. So I'd love to see it, especially as OU fans will will see this weekend. You know, there's some great fan bases still out there, K-State. Um, so I just love that for them and some of the other schools in the Big 12 that they're able to continue at a very high level and not falling off into a G5 type of scenario. So that's that's really good to see. Um, before we get you out of here, um, you know, no one bleeds more purple than you do. Um, what's your score prediction for Saturday? And um, I guess if you're if you're not picking the Cats, uh, or if you are, give us the keys to victory there for for Kansas State. Yeah, um, like I said, I you know me, I bleed purple harder than anybody else. Um, uh, but you know, looking at this game, you know what's going to be successful for K State is if you know we can control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Um, obviously, running with Deuce Vaughn, but I think also stretching the field. You know, we got to have a couple plays down the field, um, you know, whether that's passing or some re reverses, whatever it might be to keep the secondary honest. I mean, that's what it, really what didn't work in our one loss this year against Oklahoma State was they had eight, nine, shoot, even sometimes 10 guys in the box, um, and that just won't work. So being able to win at the line, be able to stretch the field, you know, with the passing game, um, and then I think just controlling, you know, containing – you know, Spencer Rattler, um, I think just making him uh, – I, I, I haven't been able to watch too much uh, OU this year, but, you know, trying to keep him in the pocket. Don't let his legs beat us. You know, I feel like he does pretty well in the run, uh, th you know, throwing and running. So, um, yeah, I think be able to contain him. And uh, I think that will be you know, what we need to win. With my score prediction, you know, if we had Skyler, it would be a different story. Um, but I – I do think, you know, my my score uh, is OU will probably come out with a victory. I have at 34-24. Okay. I, I think OU fans would take that. Uh, scoring 30 <laughs> points uh, in 2021 would be a, a huge deal. So, uh, well, Derek, we greatly appreciate having you on again to give us a perspective here that's uh, a little bit different and unusual than what we're used to. So uh, we will uh, see you in Manhattan here. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Well, great interview with Derek. We really appreciate him coming on, taking some time out of his day to give us a little preview there on K-State. I think it's uh, it's interesting to hear um, after you know all the complaints that we had about how OU sucks and how we need to be better and things like that. Um, there are other teams out there that are going through some similar struggles. And uh, it's interesting just to hear his perspective on you know the quarterback situation. I know he's a little bit less optimistic on Skylar Thompson playing than maybe some uh, OU fans are just, you know, really skeptical after what Chris Kleiman said today. So we'll see who who runs out there onto the field to, to start for them. And um, certainly a, a, a big game and a huge opportunity. And I guess we'll, we'll give our score predictions a little bit later, but uh, definitely a big opportunity for OU to get back on track. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's a big one for for OU Manhattan on uh, Manhattan on Saturday. We've got a couple a uh, couple of us here that are going to be making picks on that game on the the beers and bets. So Corbin, what do you got for this week? Yeah, guys, to round out last week, um, you know, fairly solid week for us all. Adam and Tyler, um, both of you rounding out at two and three. Adam fourteen and eleven overall. Tyler nine and sixteen. You've seen better days, my friend. Uh, proud to say that I have staked my claim in the first place of the group. Who knows how long that will last, but I'm going to ride it as long as I can. If you know my picks at all, now is time to start fading me. I've had a little bit of success. It's bound to come back the other way. So uh, let's hop right into it. Ty, or excuse me, Adam, start us off with your number one pick and how we're starting off the week. 
Yeah, the uh, bad news is I went two and three last week. Good news is Tyler went two and three last week. So uh, <laughs> lost first place, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Um, I'm going to start us off uh, with uh, a big rivalry game. Duke at UNC. Oh, oh wait, it's football. Um, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still going with Duke on this one. 19 and a half point underdogs. It is in Chapel Hill. I don't know what to make of UNC. Uh, I think Duke has kind of leveled off a little bit, even against some uh, not so great competition. So I think they can keep it within 19 and a half points here. Yeah, uh, I'm going OU at K-State, Kansas State, uh, getting 10 and a half points at home. Wildcats have been a thorn in OU's side uh, lately, winning each of the last two and four out of the last nine. So Lincoln Riley hasn't beaten Chris Kleiman since Kleiman took over for Bill Snyder a couple years ago. And, you know, guys, I'm not going to pump sunshine and rainbows like a lot of other people around here when talking about this team. There's some serious concern with this offense and how they've played through four games, particularly the offensive line. And because I think of that, 10.5 is still a little too big of a number for me. So I'm going to go with K-State to cover the 10.5 the in Manhattan on Saturday. Tyler, I'm right in line with you. I don't think this team is good enough to beat anybody by 10 points at the moment with this offense, so I'm going to stick with it. It's crazy to think that outside of the, um, the one JV team we played this year, OU has lost against the spread every single game. Um, they are pushing Kansas status at the moment of how easy it is to pick against them. So God. we're going to keep it riding until we see something different. I got K-State plus the points. I think you guys are right, but I'm choosing mental health and keeping that off my board. Um, I am going with Boston College plus eight and a half in the first half against Clemson. Uh, Clemson hasn't won a game by more than eight and a half against the FBS opponent. So I don't think that they're going to have that type of separation in the first half. Yeah, I, I like that pick as well. Uh, number two for me, I'm going Michigan at Wisconsin. Wolverines making the trip up to Camp Randall. Michigan averaging over 290 rushing yards a game. Uh, Michigan plus two in this one. Yeah, I, I'm going to take Michigan. I know that Jim Harbaugh is 0-12 at Michigan as an underdog, but something feels a little bit different about this Michigan team this year. I know it's probably going to bite me in the ass. I haven't been good on the picks this year. This is the weirdest year in college football since dating all the way back to 2007, but I've got a feeling on Michigan in this week, so I'm going to ride with the khaki and take them to, uh, to, to go plus two here. Yeah, I'm going straight the opposite way. That line's too weird. I think it's a bait game. Um, that one and uh, Notre Dame and Cincinnati kind of feel the same way. There is zero reason that Wisconsin should be the favorite, which I think is what Vegas is banking on. Uh, so I'm actually going to take the Badgers here, um, minus two. It makes no sense, but I do think that Wisconsin defense is really freaking good. Um, so I think they'll, they'll, they'll handle Michigan in that run game. So something that does make a lot of sense is Texas and TCU scoring a ton of points. Um, both very good offenses with a lot of playmakers. Uh, the over is 66 and a half. I'm going to take that. I like that. Yeah, uh, I've got that game on my card as well, but uh, I'm actually taking Texas minus minus five. Texas two and seven in their last nine against the Horn Frogs. Gary Patterson always takes that game personal, and it's shown with how dominant he's been over Texas teams that were coached by Tom Herman and Charlie Strong. But we've seen this TCU defense this year really struggle early on. They gave up 32 to Cal, gave up 42 to Tanner Mordecai last week in the lost SMU. And when you've got a struggling secondary and you can't tackle very well, that's a bad combination when you've got B. John Robinson coming to town. So give me Texas minus five in this one. I hate that uh, we've agreed on two picks already, Tyler, but I'm going to be right there with you. Texas minus five. You watch that SMU offense go up and down the field at will mm -hmm. and uh, put up some big-time points against TCU, even though Mordecai had three picks in that game, which is disheartening if you're a Horn Frog fan. So I think Texas has found something on the offensive side of the ball, and like what we've seen here in Norman, give me Texas minus five. For number four, give me some action. I'm going with Central Michigan. They're playing at Miami of Ohio. It's a pick'em game. I'm taking fire up chips here. Miami has uh, one of the worst uh, rush defenses in the country, so I think uh, Central Michigan capitalized there. 
Nice. Pick number three for me, I'm going out to Tuscaloosa. Uh, Ole Miss traveling to take on Alabama. Last year's game in Oxford between these two opponents was a shootout with Alabama winning 63-48. to They had over 1,400 yards of total combined offense. I don't think that they're going to hit that yardage number this year, but I still believe we're going to get another high-scoring affair when it could come down to who gets a turnover, who gets the ball last. So, uh, Matt Krause, he's playing like the best quarterback in America. So I think him and Lane Kiffin, I think they find a way to keep it close in this one. So 14 and a half is a little too many points. So give me Ole Miss to cover the 14 and a half. I am staying away from that game. That game makes me nervous on all, all fronts. Um, so I'm just steering clear. One thing, another, we're talking about strange lines earlier. Another strange line is Clemson minus 16 against an undefeated Boston college. Uh, maybe Clemson has a fire lit under them now after last week's loss. But, guys, that's a lot of points for an offense that isn't doing a whole lot. And you know BC is going to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. So I'm going to take Boston College plus 16 here. Um, I can see myself being wrong. It, it feels like Clemson's very similar to Oklahoma. You're just waiting for that breakout game that's going to cost you a lot of money But when you go against them. But until I start seeing more out of Clemson, i got to take uh, take 16 there. Talk about a quarterback that might get booed. Um, some quarterbacks that won't get booed are Matt Corral and uh, Bryce Young. I'm looking at that game as well, Tyler, but I am going with the under on 79 and a half. Two teams that can really score, but Nick Saban is not going to let that happen to him two years in a row. So um, I don't know, you know, if he'll lock him down to less than 30, but I think one of these teams doesn't score 40. Um, so that's really all I'm banking on here. We talked about the parody in college football. Imagine if Ole Miss beats Alabama in Arkansas and knocks off Georgia this this weekend. Talk about crazy. But, no, pick number five for me, Cincinnati traveling up to South Bend, take on Notre Dame. I have no idea why I'm picking this. But uh, Luke Fickle, Desmond Ritter, they know this is an opportunity for them to be sort of their coming out party, submit their case in early October as a playoff contender. And, guys, shout out Katie Stats with Barstool. Cincinnati has won 30 straight games when they're favored. So Cincinnati, I'm picking them to cover the two against Notre Dame. That's another one of those games. It feels like they're wanting you to take the cheese in Notre Dame after a massive win against Wisconsin, mm-hmm. a blowout win on paper. If you look at the score. Uh, so I actually love the fact that you're taking Cincy minus two there uh, to, to round out wow. shocker, wow. To, shocker wow. to you all on who will be my fifth pick. It's Kansas at Iowa state. I mean, until Kansas <laughs> proves me wrong, I just have to keep doing it guys. I hate this pick. I hate it, but for principle's sake, I have to keep going against Kansas until they do something different. Iowa State minus 34. That's a lot of points for an offense that I don't trust whatsoever, but I, I can survive that game. Um, you know, So we'll just have to uh, keep playing the cards right and go Iowa State minus 34. How confident are you in that because of Iowa State and not because of Kansas? 34 is a lot of points for, for Iowa State. I have zero confidence. Like if I was if I was actually trying to like bet with my head here, I'd probably take Kansas with the points, which is why I can't do that. Uh, that's that is a lot of points. I, I do think Kansas can score, but I just I, I, they keep losing against the spread. So until something happens, I just got to keep going for it. I feel like I've put so much rational thought into my picks over the last four weeks. And now I find myself nine and 16. So I, that's kind of why I'm changing it up a little bit. So go. going a little outside of the box on this one, but uh, guys, before we get out of here, we've got to talk about OU Kansas state in terms of giving our score prediction. So uh, Adam, we'll start with you and, and then Corbin, Adam, yeah. tell me why K state's going to win on Saturday. Uh, because they're our Achilles heel here, basically. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll still roll with the Sooners. I think uh, we find a way to win 24-20. It's not pretty. Um, it's the same song, different verses the previous weeks. Oh. And uh, 
but I, it gives me a little bit of hope knowing that, you know, just from what Derek said, that if we get Will Howard out there, I, I think the defense is going to be able to pull us out again. Guys, for me, it's OU 27, K-State 21. I I do think Deuce Vaughn is good enough to win this football game on his own, even though the K-State quarterback play is, uh, is highly questionable. But I think the OU defense is good enough to hold him at bay uh, for at least a while um, and keep this game uh, low scoring, which is exactly what this offense needs right now. So got the Sooners coming out on top, uh, 27 to 21. Very, very similar to what you guys have. I've got OU winning a close one, 27 to 23. Not going to cover, but they are going to pull out the win, and they are going to be 5-0 and going into Texas that weekend. And like I said, this is a big game for Lincoln Riley. Obviously, there's probably a handful of things that he wants to see this team take the next step and show some improvement on. Obviously, we've talked about the offensive line, having a pulse, running the football. Maybe it's time for a big play. Guys, Spencer Rattler hasn't completed a deep ball this year in four weeks. What's going on? So they've got to control the line of scrimmage, especially against this K-State rushing attack. Uh, Derek hit the nail on the head perfectly when talking about Deuce Vaughn. So you've got to control the line of scrimmages. Linebackers, this is going to be the biggest game for them so far this season in terms of them being assignment sound. So uh, control the run game, protect the middle of the field. And, guys, one last thing on this. This is a big week for us, not just trying to beat Kansas State, but it's a huge preparation game for Texas because if this o, if this O-line can't pass protect, if OU can't run the football, Spencer can't make big plays in the passing game, and you can't figure out a way to score more than 16 or 23 points, there's a very, very good chance we're going to get our ass handed to us down in the Cotton Bowl next weekend. So I feel like hopefully we do take another step this week, show a little bit better sign. But, yeah, I've got 27-23 OU. Yeah, I mean, another week we're hitting lows on this offense scoring. I think last week we were all before 40, and now here we are all below 30. So, man. At least we're not a Clemson fan right now or a North Carolina fan. Don't jinx it. We're not too far off. (laughs) Don't jinx it. (laughs) Well, I mean, just in terms of, you know, we're four weeks into the season and Clemson's already got two losses and they're eliminated from from, uh, the playoff True. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to knock on wood there. Well, let's let's get out of here. Uh, like I said, uh, OUK State, big one on Manhattan on Saturday. OU's first true road game uh, of the season coming up at 2.30 on Saturday inside Bill Snyder Stadium. So, again, we appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, this is one of the best parts of our week each and every week. So, appreciate you guys for following us on Twitter. Again, that's at the Mainline Pod one Enjoy interacting with you guys. And if you've made it this far, like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Enjoy interacting with you guys. And we'll be back right here again next Tuesday, hopefully recapping a big uh, a big time win in Manhattan and looking ahead to the Red River shootout uh, in, in uh, Dallas next weekend. But, again, appreciate you guys for listening. Tyler, Corbin, Adam, uh, we will see you guys right here for another episode of the Mainline Podcast next week.